in many ways this week we've just scratched the surface and uh, we cannot cover everything tonight we want to look a little bit in this chapter it's a chapter about tongues about tongues I do not believe that they are scriptural any longer there is no use or purpose for them at this time but even when they were a real commodity, if you call it from God, a gift from God, there were rules about how they were to be used in the church. And they were to be used for the church's blessing. They were used to edify others, to give them a word of knowledge that they did not have, not having the written word yet complete. But uh, a very misunderstood <clears throat> thing at best. We're going to begin right at the beginning of the chapter. And the first six verses give us kind of a little introduction into this business of tongues. But music, you know, is a language. Music is a tongue, so to speak. And so it's no surprise that after these six introductory verses, the Apostle Paul began speaking about music. There are some similarities between that business of tongues and the business of a musical tongue. But um, I think we'll begin, and, and uh, if you would stand with me. We're not really trying to surprise you with anything, so we're going to, going to read the end of, of the message as our introductory verses. And uh, let's read together out loud in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 23 through 25. By the way, thank you for your good hospitality. We enjoyed the supper uh, at the church here, and we'll enjoy another one, I guess, tonight. But uh, we sure appreciate being here and, and being used and hope. And we've been praying that the things you gather from this will be a real and a practical blessing to you and a help to you in your life. They, they have been to us. But let's read these three verses together, beginning with verse 23. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. That's what we might call our happy ending there, and it may, maybe doesn't look too obvious to you, so we'll go back to the beginning of the chapter and see how this all adds up together and what this is talking about. So back to verse 1. We've got to pray here, don't we? Yes, Lord, please please bless and guide my thoughts and help all these things to, to make sense to the people to fall together. And Lord, we thank Thee for the instruction that we have in the Word of God. We would be floundering and without any guidelines at all if it were not for thy word, and we thank thee, Lord, that thou dost 
Help us in every aspect of our life. Lord, bless especially the musicians who have to draw a line somewhere and decide what they will sing and what they will play and what they will not all of their life. And Lord, help those that are not considered to be musicians to have the music in their life that will build them up most in their holy faith. And we'll, we'll thank thee for that. Bless now this time together. And uh, thou, thou knowest, Lord, my great need here in, in uh, bringing this message and in, in the things that need to be accomplished. So please help me with that. And we'll thank thee and praise thee for that to work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated then. <clears throat> I'm just going to begin reading. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Right away we find out that even when this gift of tongue was available, at this particular place they're speaking of a tongue that a man uses for himself and nobody else gets a thing out of it and I'll tell you what there's a whole lot of musicians that make music for themselves and they don't care if anybody else gets anything out of it uh, with a Christian it ought not ought to be that way we minister with, with music but um, in that sense the gift of tongues was a selfish gift which is what was troubling the Corinthians anyway they were after it because they wanted to look more spiritual than their brother or sister. They wanted to be the one who had this special tongue, whether it was public or private. And the Apostle Paul told him, follow after charity and desire these spiritual gifts. He said, that's good. But better than that is to prophesy. And the best way to describe prophesying is simply to take the word of God and make it plain. Make it plain to the saints, make it plain to sinners to prophesy. And, and yes, we do, don't we, as born-again Christians? We tell people, if you trust the Savior, you'll spend eternity in heaven. We're foretelling the future. If you reject the Savior, there is no salvation in any other. You'll spend eternity in hell. It hasn't happened yet, but it surely will. We're foretelling their future. They may choose, but we tell them what is coming, and it is indeed prophesying but verse 3 then says but he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort he tells us why it's better than just this selfish little private gift of tongues and, and I'm adding words there calling it selfish but you'll see why if we take the word of God and make it plain to others They'll be edified. What is that? That's when we're built up in our most holy faith. We'll be exhorted. We'll be warned in love. And we'll be comforted with the comfort of the scriptures, the comfort of the Holy Ghost. He said that's why prophesying is better. All of us can take the Bible and tell others what we've learned about our Savior and what we know about his salvation. Verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. There again, it's for himself. It's selfish. 
but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. It's for everyone. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? So he said, we, we want to be able to bring something to you, a revelation from God, knowledge that you didn't have of the Lord, again, some other prophesying of things to come, and doctrine. Brother Randolph mentioned doctrine being important in our music, and it is. And uh, so there's our, our six introductory verses. I'm calling them that. And then the scriptures turn to music. And there is a, a four-point New Testament philosophy of music. The reason I mentioned the selfishness of tongues Everyone's music is a little bit different. Everyone's ability in music is a little bit different. And everybody has their own music. They have this music that they like themselves. My songs, my music. And in that sense, we're very selfish. They, when, the, when the Jesus people and Jesus movement, the first gospel rock people, in modern America uh, began to sing their rock and roll with a few Bible words. They were saying rock and roll is our selfish music. This is for me. This is what I like. We don't care what the rest of the church thinks or the rest of the Christians think. We want our music. This is the way we do it. And so they did. They made a complete change, a complete breakaway. Um, they kept the hippie dress. They kept the commune style living, whether they actually lived in fornication or not. I don't know. I'm not going to, to accuse them, but I, you, you know, you, there's an appearance of evil there. They kept the, the rock and roll and the beads and the incense, and some of them, I think, kept the drugs, although I didn't know any personally that way. But uh, it was a very selfish movement. And they did not care. When I went to speak to them and, and I said, I told my dad, who was not yet saved, I told him, my, I said, I am like you, Jesus people. And he was, my dad was offended. And he said, well, and he started to accuse them of all the things that I just mentioned. And I said, is there anything you can do about this? My dad is not yet saved, and he's affected by your ministry, and he's being affected negatively. Can you do something about it? Can you put another door in and let the girls go in that door, and you guys go in this door so it doesn't look like you're living communally? And they didn't even address any of the issues whether, whether it was the way they looked or the way they talked or their music or, or their commune that they were living in near where my father worked. And uh, they said, well, we're only called to the college. I said, well, that's wonderful if God's told you to reach the college students. 
but it's affecting my father as well. And they just refused. They were selfish enough. They weren't going to change a thing. Not even a word to give to my dad to explain the problem or, or what, whatever was going on. They didn't say, well, we'll talk to him. Uh, they didn't say, we'll pray for him. Nothing. There was uh, no result. I just went back and told my dad, I made a mistake. I'm not like the Jesus people. They were not the same thing. Um, but they, they were indeed very selfish. They were determined to live their life no matter what anybody thought. They were going to live it just the way they were living it, uh, even if things did not look right and certain things were not right. But music is that way. People want to sing. When, when we get involved with singers in a church, they find some pet little song they want to sing, and they, they haven't researched it, and they haven't looked into it. And Brother Randall has covered some of those things, too. You know, where did the song come from? What does the person believe that wrote it? What is the doctrine in the song itself? And uh, some people don't care. They just like the song, and they want to sing it. And uh, I, I could only guess their motives. I wouldn't even begin to know what they were doing and what they were trying to do. But it wasn't to edify the church. It was just their little music thing for them. And that's what makes it so e easy to offend those kind of people. Because they, they uh, just want to do what they want to do with it and they don't care what the scriptures say and they don't care what's going on. I could go on and on about all the, all the complaints in a local church over people being just ridiculous about their music. But um, I will say this, that my wife and I uh, found a way when we began to travel, which was not our choice, it was what the Lord wanted, we found a way to eliminate the music that would offend people. If there was a reason they could be offended, we made sure that song wouldn't be done. And there were places that we, we wouldn't have agreed with the people's idea of what was offensive. Nevertheless, the, the desire was to edify the people of God, build them up with the music that we brought. And so we were striving for that, and we had to put away our, our selfish ideas. Well, I want to sing that song. Well, I like that song, and we're going to do that. And we found music that was acceptable to, to everyone. But I'll begin now with this, this music business. And these things are laid out to help us have a music that would be acceptable to all of us. First one is found in verse number seven. Verse number seven. It says, and even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds how shall it be known what is piped or harped? Especially when it comes to instrumental music. There are, there are pieces of music that we uh, listen to and we fail to find the melody. We fail to recognize the tune. And uh, I told my wife when she plays the harp, I said, let's play songs that people know. This morning we had Philip help us with, what was the name of the song? Yeah, you knew Mrs. Ives. I want to make sure they knew, but... But we played it in such a way, uh, Philip 
Philip put away all his desires to improvise whatever else he might have wanted to improvise, and he played the tune so we all knew it. And uh, that's the first point, that we are to give a distinction in the sounds. And the sound that we make should be distinctively Christian. If someone were to walk by this church on a summer afternoon when the air conditioning wasn't working, maybe I shouldn't even say that, huh? but, but, uh, and you had all the windows open, even if they had never visited a church, they should be able to walk by and hearing you singing the hymns, they would conclude they are in there praising God. There shouldn't be a question they shouldn't wonder if it was a social event and there was a dance in the basement, complete with pizza and ice cream, you know. Distinctively Christian sounds. A sound that's recognizable, easily recognizable as being Christian. My sister wanted me to trust the Lord very badly. I have an older sister and several younger brothers and sisters, but... but um, she was involved in some college ministries, and she invited me to a, a rock and roll concert because I was a rock and roll musician, and these rock and rollers were Jesus people type, and they were going to bring some of their music, and then uh, someone would get up and speak or preach. And uh, these fellows got up, and one of the first things they did They began to sing, and they began to sing about Jesus. But they were, they were doing, a, Jesus Christ, oh yes, you need him now. Jesus Christ, oh yes, you need him now. Well, that was a dirty old song called Louie Louie. The song was so dirty that you couldn't really hear the lyrics, you couldn't really understand them and everybody made up their own version you know at that age what did we understand at 15 16 17 my sister thought that I would be drawn I, I just told her yes because she was so persistent I said I'll go and I'll you know I'll sit through this thing first of all they didn't play rock and roll as well as our band played rock and roll or as bad, he, you know, depends on your definition. <laughs> I was not drawn in. I said, why are these Christians playing my dirty music to sing about God? Not that I knew anything about God's holiness, but their sound was not distinct. I said, that's rock and roll. That's my music. But we don't sing about God, and we, if we did, we probably wouldn't sing like that. And the verse concludes that if we don't have a distinctly Christian sound, no one will know what we're piping or harping. They just, no one will have a clue. And honestly, I was confused. I immediately rejected 
these Christian rock musicians as anyone I wanted to meet or talk to? I just said no. I knew something wasn't, wasn't right. And I couldn't tell what it was they were trying to do, but I didn't like it. And by the way, it says pipe or harp. You, we, here's a flute and a trombone. Those are pipes. A saxophone, it's a pipe. A trumpet's a pipe. A clarinet's a pipe. And there we have a harp. It mentions pipe or harp, but just something interesting, by the way. The original pipe is right here. It's a windpipe. And the original harp is the strings we call vocal cords. I know they're not really ropes, but, you know, vocal cords, pipe or harp, in our singing and in our instruments, which are, are just an imitation of the human voice. We should make a distinctly, distinctively Christian sound so people know what's being piped or harp. They're praising God. It's songs about the Creator. It's songs about the Savior. Why would anyone want to blur the difference between our hymns? You know, the world, when they hear the hymns, they, they shy away from them. They're, they're looking for the barroom music. They're looking for the dance hall music. They're looking for the noisy music, the headbanger music, even. Saints, we have peace with God. We have joy. We're looking for happy music, light music, uplifting music. We're looking for something with peace in it. But distinct sound, that's the first the first point. The second point is found in verse 8. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? It's a similar question that's being raised. <clears throat> but a trumpet has to give a certain sound. Or what? Nobody will answer the call. Nobody will rise to the occasion. When we were in high school, I had not yet really done much at all with brass instruments. But at the ball games, they had these big, long, plastic post horns, they're called. It's just a plastic horn. And the people that bought them, that wanted to make the noise at the, at the basketball games, it seems like they never could play them. And I was sat right behind him. Right? Let me try. Let me try. Let me try your instrument. Let me play it. I can do it. Let me do it. And sometimes they would give in. <clears throat> but uh, it was a way to encourage the team, of course. And uh, so one of, the, one of the main things that these post-horn players were supposed to play was the charge. And, of course... Six little notes. And everybody would holler. Yeah, this, that's not a winning team, okay? Let me do that again. 
and maybe the six notes stand for the six letters. C-H-A-R-G-E. I don't, I don't really know, but everyone knows that's the charge. Is not the charge. Those players on the post horn were even worse. <laughs> and of course, when that happened, absolutely no one responded. The worse it got, the more embarrassed the crowd was. They had to hear those six notes, and then they were energized to shout, Charge! the sounds that we make in the church have to be certain sounds. And we found songs that, let's say they agree with the scriptures. They agree with the Holy Spirit of God. They agree with the preaching service. In other words, they have the same Spirit of God behind them, using them to affect people for God and for good. They make a certain sound. And, and I've already I've forgotten, I think, I think that you played Holy, Holy, Holy this morning at the end. Was, what, what was it? One of the services, yes, yes. And, and it is because we had talked about some of those things. The song was fitting, and I just noted it when, when she played it. But um, if we have a song at an invitation time, we do not change the attitude of the song um, if we're, we're calling for people to, well, dedicate themselves to the Lord, consecrate themselves to the Lord, um, we don't necessarily play sound the battle cry for the invitation or the battle hymn of the republic. <laughs> that was, uh, I allowed him to marry my daughter on the, uh, with the uh, promise he would never play the battle hymn. But, um, that's not really true, but <clears throat> but we we know that our music has to make a certain sound. And by the way, if you if you ever watched, uh, and these people will talk more about revival than we will, but they will use all this modern music, and they don't end up with any revival. They don't end up with any results. They're using music of an uncertain sound. We have to use a, a, a music, let's say, that is under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, lining up with the Bible for it to be effective. And I am afraid we've used so much of this uncertain sound music The message may say, you know, yield to God. And the music is selfish and it says, do your own thing. And you, get a, you get a mixed message and we'll be talking about that a little bit here in a little bit. 
but we've, we have music that's leaving people confused. And the result is nobody says, I'll help out at the church. Nobody says, I'll knock doors. Nobody says, I'll go to Bible college. Nobody says, I'll surrender for this or that or the other thing. We've had a, a long time where it seems there is no revival. And I submit that the music that's being used is that way. It's actually a surprise. We talked to a gal who's a wonderful singer just the other day and ran into some problems. One of the things was a Lanny Wolf song, and I didn't know what you knew about Lanny Wolf. But we were trying to explain to her what, that we needed to go through the lyrics of the songs because we weren't just going to sing any old thing that she brought and said, let's do this, I like this song. And I'm not even going to name a song, but it, it was one song that was brought up and, and we said, we don't even know what these words mean. Oh, she said, well, the people have been singing in the church for decades. And they have been. But I said, I can't find out what makes it important spiritually. Anyway, she was just absolutely surprised that we'd have to check a song out to find out if it had a scriptural message or not. <laughs> And she sung in church for years. It just can become kind of a tradition. But we always sing this song. We sing this and we do that. It's, it surprises most people. Why do, I'm going to get off the track, but why do people ask for in the garden when their loved one dies? It's a song about meeting the Lord early in the morning alone. It's, it's a song about fellowshipping with the Lord and Meditation on with the Lord, communion with the Lord. It doesn't really have anything to do with heaven or, or, or a funeral, but it's just, you know, Grandma had it for her funeral. And Uncle Bob had it for his funeral. And I don't know that it's a terrible song at all. It's just never used in a good place. Never, never used to encourage anyone to fellowship with the Lord. It's just to make everybody cry because that was... Great grandma's favorite song, too. But anyway, I'm off the track here. Number one, a distinction in the sounds, making a distinctively Christian sound. Number two, making a certain sound, one that we know will not hinder the services of God, one that we know will not hinder our fellowship with the Lord. And by the way, that... That's one of the worst things about this world's music. If we just sang hymns for 10 or 15 minutes and each one of us communed with the Lord and this went on and then right in the middle I stopped and went... <clears throat> Everyone in the room, we, we're not going to do it because it would take... 15 or 20 minutes. Every one of you would be entirely offended. Why? Because I would have disturbed your fellowship with the Lord. With a poor rendition of a barroom tune. I did it at several churches and it was just difficult to do. 
because the, the obviousness of the different spirit was, was just so shocking. There was almost nothing left to say or do that night except to say, that's what worldly music does. It invades our communion with the Lord, gets in the way of our prayers and our thoughts, verse memorization, meditating on a verse, trying to figure something out. Not a noise in this world. Certain, certain sounds, but certainly not godly sounds. So anyway, our second point is that we're told if we use uncertain sounds, music that's not tried and true, we can expect the results to be pretty poor. Rally, after all, that trumpet blowing at the rally was to get the people to rally. And when they didn't blow it right, nobody would rally. There was no encouragement. There was no result. But number three is found in verse 9. So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. Words easy to be understood. By that, we do not mean like they meant, what was it, way back in Explo 72, 73, something way far back. They told the preachers a similar thing to what you were relating, Brother John. They said, we don't want you to use words like propitiation and regeneration and consecration. Get all of the Asian words out of there when you preach. Make it simple. Make it words easy to be understood. But that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what God is talking about here. Words easy to be understood means that the lyrics of our song, first of all, make sense. And that we can measure them by the Bible and recognize the topics in the Bible that they are addressing. And we can look up the big words, like congregation. There's another one of those. They really aren't all that terrible, are they? Oblation. Every one of us can be like the king's seers in the words of God. You know, David had his, his horn players. They, they could not play the horn. The horn, if they weren't looking in the Bible, they wouldn't blow the right kind of sound on the instrument if they did not. But uh, even songs without words have to be right in spirit. But anyway, back to words easy to be understood. If we can take our Bible or a concordance or a dictionary and make sense out of it, then those are the those are the words we can use. But the doctrine needs to be good and right. And uh, that's, that's not difficult at all. But I remember when we were going to that Bible camp in Iowa. Somebody came with this uh, 
this little chorus. And I can't remember all. It, it was a good idea. They were singing, Jesus is our shield, our buckler, our redeemer, our savior, our best friend. Da, da, da. There were a whole list of things that, that Jesus is. And right in the middle, they stuck in a phrase, he's our bridge over troubled water. This is a chorus from a Baptist church. Now, I'm, I'm from the 60s. And so whether I liked it or not, Simon and Garfunkel was a, a part of my life. Bridge Over Troubled Water was a drug song. But more than that, if I could find in the scriptures that Jesus was a bridge over anything, I probably would have accepted it and said, okay, that's wonderful. However, I did not find that. Let's, let's just look at something once um, in Isaiah. The Lord told us something. The big problem here, if these, these children heard this chorus... He's our this, 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 naming the, all the things you could find in the Bible. And all of a sudden they said, he's our bridge over troubled water. They get to trouble and they start to pray, Lord, be a bridge for me. Lord, be a bridge for me. The children are going to grow up and they're going to think, okay, Jesus is this bridge over troubled water. So when we get there, we just ask him, be a bridge. And bloop, we walk right over. Kind of like Jack B. Nimble jumping over a candlestick, you know. But the, but the truth is this. In Isaiah 43 and verse 2, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. The truth is, the Lord never has us sail over the trouble. We go through the trouble, but as we are going through it, we see that he is with us. Well, we don't need that little children's chorus. It's not accurate. It's inaccurate. It's unscriptural. But God already gave us something better. Some through the water... Some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives us song in the night season and all the day long. I, I am old now, but that's not why I like the old songs. I like the old songs when I was young. There was a time I was. I like the old songs because I could find them in the Bible. I could find the truths in the Bible. And those songs reflected the truth in the scriptures. And I can rest my life on them. And we teach lots of doctrine to people. And they learn the line of the song way before the verse in the Bible. That's good if the song is scriptural. But what if it isn't? 
What if it's not words easy to be understood because they're scriptural and they're true? And so we have that warning in 1 Corinthians 14 that we need to have words that can be understood biblically. Lost my place here. <clears throat> the fourth point is this in verse. Well, we didn't even give you the conclusion of verse 9. What does it say there then? How shall it be known what is spoken? Except ye utter, you know, by the tongue words easy to be understood. For ye shall speak into the air. What singer, what, what person having a conversation wants to speak to someone and it goes in one ear and out the other? What singer would want to sing a song and he didn't have anything to say really? We want our music to have an effect. We don't want to speak into the air. We want to speak and have somebody benefit from it, somebody gain from it, somebody be helped from it. And so we need to use words that we know are scriptural, teachings that are scriptural. And number 10 is, or verse 10 is number four. Number four, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. There's a big long word, signification. The smallest form of that word is the word sign, signal, signature. Everyone's voice is different. You call someone on the phone, you generally know if you got them or not. Even with the distortion of the sound on a phone. Because everyone's voice is different. Everyone's voice gives off a signal. It says something about who they are. Your voice says something about who you are. My voice says something about who I am. There are signals in musical voices, whether they're sung with the human apparatus or played on the instrument, that imitation of the human voice. And by the way, that is so. I've seen cello teachers tell their cello students, make that instrument sing. But you, you never hear anybody said, you know, when you use your voice, you know, make it sound like an instrument. I suppose if you told the choir to be declarative, you could say make a noise like a trumpet, but how close that would be, we don't know. Every voice gives off a signal. Every voice is significant. There are those who try to tell us that music is neutral, that it means nothing. That music expresses only itself. Not true. Not true. Every song gives off some kind of a signal. People don't give their life to music. And then, and then they say, well, this doesn't really mean anything. They know it means something. And so they throw their life into it because they want to express their feelings, at least, with music. So often, so often, you know, when, when a, a, a 
band of jazz musicians gets together and they let someone have the solo, you know, it's time for the guitar player to do his solo. They go, talk to me, baby, talk to me. They know music is a universal language. And by the way, that's Daniel chapter 3 where King Nebuchadnezzar called everyone together and had them bow down and worship at the sound of music. But uh, again, I'm digressing. Significant sounds, and I don't know how much of my voice is left uh, to, to demonstrate that, but let me take a, a few instruments and give off some signals for you. And then we'll be done. Some signals we should recognize as being distinctively Christian. Some we should recognize as definitely not Christian. My wife and I used to sing a duet. Why does the guitar player play without the voices? That was the introduction to the song, but it had something to do with the song. In a sense, the instrument, again, imitating the human voice, was echoing or echoing before the singer sang, yeah, but um, hinting at, foreshadowing. Calvary conquered my heart. And so it gives off a signal. It's part of that song. And you would recognize it as being distinctively Christian. But um, maybe just sing a little bit of the chorus. Calvary conquered my heart. Calvary conquered my heart. When I gazed on the tree, saw Christ dying for me. Then Calvary conquered my heart at the same time if I play a little bit more questionable or a more like an upset stomach you know the signals aren't the same are they one was not disturbing. It was, it was rather acceptable to us. Going, well, I would expect to hear that at church. The sounds that came after that, we go, that's, that's no. I'm not expecting to hear that when we're worshiping God in church. And every instrument, by the way, is that way. Um, what preacher said about, you know, can a saxophone be used to, to glorify God? How it is played. How instruments are played is a big thing because the signal can switch. The signal can be changed. The signal can vary. 
And I'm not sure I can even do this anymore. I'm too old, but let's see if I can. you recognize most of the song <laughs> as being send the light the blessed gospel light let it shine from shore to shore let it shine forevermore but a clarinet as I said I'm not sure I can do this but uh, a clarinet can also make a different kind of sound and give a different kind of signal sleazy for church. So same instrument, same musician, different signal. It's a very strange phenomenon, really. And uh, it only happens with humans. We'll see if we can do something with a saxophone. And then I'm going to go to the human voice. And we'll see if we can do that. But uh, we went to New York many, many years ago. And at that time, the pastor was very conservative with, with the music he used. And I was having trouble with this reed, so. Anyway, I got up to play for the offering. And people's heads were bowed already. But he looked around to see, to make sure there was going to be an offering and that I was getting something ready. And he saw the saxophone in my hand. He had been a saxophone player. And he was taught very simply, you know, you play sex on a sax and it was never going to be used in church. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't know how he was raised and what he was taught. He looked over and he, he just had this terrible look on his face like, what are you going to play on that? And he said, oh, never mind, it's too late. I didn't know too late for what, and I thought, okay, well, he said it's too late. But, and I figured out what he expected. He thought I was going to pick up this instrument and, uh, you know, and I, why bother to play any more of that? But, but anyway... I did not. Uh, I played rock around the clock. No, I did not. As sweetly, as sweetly as I could.
not wanting to respond, so we won't do any more. But in, uh, it was sweeter than that, that day. But again, what, I, what I'm saying is two signals from the same instrument, depending on what I'm trying to say, depending on what kind of signal I'm going to give. So the question is never, was that a good instrument or a bad instrument? It's how is that music, or how is that instrument being used? How is that music being presented? There is nothing wrong with the drum, but how that drum is used makes all the difference. It's used in military organizations for good effect, for good training, for good signal, but it's used in the bar rooms for terrible purposes. Same drum, sometimes the same drummer, but different signals, different signals. Someone can sing with an absolutely untrained voice and be praising the Lord. How many of you know the name? Oh dear, I am really old. He's gone home to be with the Lord. He's a pilot down in Texas. Lester Roloff. How many have ever heard him preach? How many have ever heard Lester Roloff sing? Not trained. A pilgrim was I and a wandering. In a cold night of sin I did roam. Then Jesus, the kind shepherd, found me. That's how he sang. I didn't know what he sang like. My brother gave me a tape, and I was listening to the sermon tape. And at the end, here's this guy singing like that. And I just asked my brother, I said, who's the Holy Spirit-filled truck driver on the end of the tape? <laughs> and he, you know, you don't know who that is? I said, no, I don't know who that is. And he told me, he says, Lester Roloff. If someone's praising the Lord, they may not have a, a beautiful and rich voice, but the spirit of the Lord is there. The joy of the Lord is there. And you recognize there's no extra signal in there. There's no carnal signal in there. There's no evil signal in there. It's just a voice being lifted up to, to praise God. But nowadays, you know, people listen to other singers and they pick up on their bad habits. And then they repeat them thinking that somehow singing for the Lord is making you a performer of sorts. And then perhaps you will graduate from singing in church to becoming a, a rich country or rock and roll musician. I don't, I don't know what people are thinking. Nevertheless, they will pick up on the, the very worst aspects of other people's voices. I remember hearing, even as far back as the 70s, well, people began to sing gospel music, but the signal in their voice was not right. I gave them names, and I will do the best that I can here in the next few minutes and then be done. I called this one the wimp. There was just a lot of air and not much sound, and not much energy, and this was coming out of young people in their 20s. But it sounded like they were in their 80s, like me now. And so they would sing, 
Jesus, heave me near the cross. And I thought, where did I hear that? And I know where I heard it. I heard it from some of the druggy bands where the guys were so doped up, they didn't eat, they didn't sleep, they were losing weight and their bones were sticking out, they certainly didn't have any oxygen left, and they just wheezed out uh, this terrible dying sound. No matter what they sang, there was a wrong signal in there. It just wasn't, we can be, uh, we are weak creatures, but we don't have to be right on the verge of dying always. We don't have to be that wimpy, maybe I should say meek, but not weak. Bold in the Lord, anyway. And on the opposite end of the scale, there's always someone that get up there and it looks like she's going to chew the end of the microphone off, you know. Jesus, keep me near the problem. And they're just going to growl at you the whole, the whole way through. You say, how do you get a voice like that? You eat gravel for breakfast. <laughs> those, are, those are the guys with the four-inch trucker buckle and cleats on their boots, you know, plomp, plomp, plomp when they walk, you know. It's like that. They're, they're Mr. I call that the macho voice. It's way more than it, than it really is. And, and rather, they, they attack the song, and they look like they're going to attack you and me when they sing, and they want to let you know that they're 150% male. But uh, that's not necessary to put into, put into the song. There are those who want to make you cry when they sing. It doesn't matter what you're singing about. You know, I'm looking over my dead dog Rover, but they want you to cry with them, and so they, they crack their voice on purpose. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Not necessary. That's an extra signal. You know, and you get someone else, they've been listening to some other singer, singing, oh, Jesus, keep me. Another Elvis sighting in the Baptist church, you know. And you get those, I call them the whalers. They, they, they write the thing for themselves way up, way up in the wrong key. It's in the key of X or something, you know. And they scream, they just scream. And the melody's lost. Jesus, keep me near the cross. And away go, go the guitars. And the, the drum kicks in. And somehow you, you don't get anywhere near the cross of Jesus. And they get those that want a real intimate experience, you know. So they kind of lean in there. And they whisper to you right in your ear. Glad you came tonight. Jesus, keep me near the cross. They're right on your lap, so help me. Now, fellas, you don't want me on your wife's lap. Worse than that, you don't want me on yours. It's a wrong signal. It's too intimate. We, we all need a little bit of space, a couple feet at least, you know. 
You ever talk to some of those people that they don't understand it and they're talking to you right here. They want to know what you had for breakfast or something. I'm not sure, but they're right in there on you. And then there's those that maybe they just, they don't mean it, but they're so tense that they just pinch their throats. We call them the pinchers. And they sing, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There's no rest or peace in that either, is there? As singers, and I suppose we could go on and on with different sounds, but as singers, we learn to simply take the voice that we have without any affectations, without any phony theatrics, and sing and praise God. This is the best I can do. Jesus, keep me near the cross. But I tried to keep anything out of it that would get in the way. Just a clear message, just the voice that I have, what's left of it, in praise of God. And so in case you were going to ask, well, what, what voice do I use? Just use your own. Use your own. And sing the best you can to make the message why do we sing? Make the message clear and plain. Christ receiveth sinful men. Just keep things out of the way. When, when I come to church, if I've got sin to confess, I want to take care of it before I get to church, before I open my mouth in front of anybody. I want to, I want to leave all the, the uh, baggage and the trappings and everything else behind. I don't want mixed messages to come out of my voice. And the problem with these mixed messages is this. It's very easy to demonstrate. Frank Garlock demonstrated it years ago, and I thought, why does he need to do that? And I figured it out. It's, a, it's just a fundamental thing. He said, I'm going to give you a mixed message. And here's one, you know. I, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not. I said one thing, and you believed the opposite. Honey, I love you, but what did you do with my car keys? She does not feel loved at that moment. There's a mixed message there. I'm so glad you came to church tonight. A mixed message. I'm a man, I sure am. <laughs> Every time I speak, you hear words, and you even you're even laughing because of it. You hear words and you don't believe one of them. You're believing something else. That's why I said it's a mixed message. I gave you some words that you did not accept and believe because you believed the attitude, the tone, the style, instead of what I actually said. And I, we can sum it up like this. If someone, like that band I went to see because my sister was bothering me about it, sings even the very scriptures themselves 
with their dirty old rock and roll. People don't believe the message. They believe the attitude. They pick up on the immorality of that music, the, the filthiness of that music, the uncleanness of that music, the style, the carnality, and that's what they fall in love with. Not the Lord. So our conclusion says this. If the whole church be come together, and we did tonight, didn't we? And all speak with tongues, let me put in there. And we all have our own selfish little music. Like that fellow that had a sing Louie Louie with Jesus words. And there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers. Will they not say that ye are mad? You know why I wouldn't talk to those boys in that gospel rock band? I said, they're crazy. That's what I was saying. They said, they're singing worldly music. They're singing, you know, wicked, dark, nighttime, rock and roll music about God. Because they wanted to keep their own selfish little tongue there, their own selfish little music. I didn't believe them for a minute. I said, maybe somebody else that's not playing in this group is someone I can talk to about God. And a fellow came out with his hair actually cut during this hippie time. And he had on a sweater and a tie and something like a Bible under his arm. It wasn't exactly. And I said, I want to talk to him. The rest of them are nuts. He made some things in the Bible plain. He spoke of the Lord's salvation. Verse 24 says, but if all prophesy and they're coming, one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. The, the importance there of, of those verses is that if, if we use something that just belongs to us, it's just our own little selfish thing and generally some sinful attitude like the attitudes in these voices that were used and played. No one will get a thing out of it. But if we make the word of God plain to saints and to sinners, when the unbelievers come in, when the unlearned come in, it says that they will be convinced of all, convinced that they do need the Lord, convinced that they are a sinner, convinced that there is such a thing as the new birth. And judged of all, they'll, they'll know they're guilty before God. They'll sense that conviction. It says, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. That's what we want to happen. The, the lost sinner comes in and, and when he hears this, the sermon preached, he says, who told the preacher how I've been living? He's under conviction. And we want that to happen. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God. There is that prostrate humility. And it says, report that God is in you of a truth. If I mix my life with all kinds of mixed messages, and if music is part of my, my mixed message, people look at me and go, he's crazy. We want people to say, God is in me of a truth. God is in you of a truth. 
And so we, our music in church matters. We don't need it to be a mixed message that matches this world at all. We need to keep it just as separate in our life together as a church and in our life during the week as an individual. We could say more. We will quit here. Dear Father, thank you for what we've been able to look at. Thank you for the help these things give us. Help us to be separated from those attitudes, from those styles, those ways that would make us worldly instead of Christian in our demeanor. That would change the way we live, maybe the way we speak, maybe the way we think, maybe more than that. Bless us, Lord, with a, a testimony where others would say God is in them of a truth. May they see Christ in us. That's our hope of glory, Lord. Bless in the, the next service now in Jesus' name. Amen.